Chapter Sixteen of Red Diamonds by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Sixteen: New Mysteries. The days went on and on, and Gerald was a frequent visitor at the College of Culture, and Rupert Granton was still more often there. Gerald was beginning to discover for himself what many a man had discovered before him, that the possession of wealth is by no means a guarantee of tranquillity. Gerald Aspen was undoubtedly rich, at least he was to be rich in a few months, but undoubtedly he was not tranquil. On the contrary, he felt himself growing more uneasy, more restless, more irritable daily. The fault, however, of the changed condition did not lie directly with the expected fortune. Only indirectly had his inheritance caused him any change of spirit. It was because that inheritance had for the first time made him aware of the existence on the habitable globe of a young woman named Fidelia, that Aspen was occasionally tempted to gird at his affluence in the spirit of a new Timon. For, to tell the truth, Aspen was beginning to find that his thoughts dwelt daily more and more upon the image of Fidelia Locke. Hers was a very delightful image to dwell upon, and, so far at least, Aspen had no just cause for complaint or self-tormenting. But the more Gerald thought of Fidelia, the more also he convinced himself that he was acting very foolishly in allowing himself to think so incessantly of her, and the more he convinced himself of his folly, the more also did he persist in his folly. He frankly admitted to himself that the more he saw of Fidelia, the more he longed to see her. That the more he thought of her, the sweeter his thoughts seemed, and the more delightful her image. "'There's no mistake about it,' he said to himself one day as he walked slowly along the road leading to Lady Scardale's, a road with which his feet had grown strangely familiar. There's no mistake about it, I am in love with Fidelia Locke, and there's no mistake about it either, I might just as well be in love with the moon for all the good it is likely to do me. Gerald Aspen was mistaken in his deduction. It always does a man good to be in love with a good girl, and whether she returns his affection or not is really by the way but he was accurate enough in his estimate of his own emotions. He had naturally seen a good deal of Fidelia of late, and the more he saw of her, the more completely he surrendered himself to the charm of her beauty and her strong spirit. Yes, Gerald went on to himself, Granton is right, there never was a girl like Fidelia and as the name of Lady Scardale's brother-in-law flitted across his mind, his face darkened, for he had touched the keynote of his disquietude. It was not so much his own unanswered devotion to Fidelia Locke, which had of late so troubled him, 
it was the openly displayed devotion of rupert granton for fidelia which put him into such perturbation rupert granton's admiration for fidelia was unconcealed and what was more to the purpose in gerald's vexation it seemed to impress fidelia very pleasurably it was impossible for gerald to conceal from himself that rat gundy or rather rupert granton had won his way into fidelia's favour very remarkably he had done his best to keep the two apart he had roundly refused to have anything to do with advancing the acquaintanceship and now in spite of all his wishes here were rupert granton and fidelia locke apparently the best of friends always seemingly delighted to meet each other always full of mutual confidences poor gerald it must be recorded to his credit that although it was in his power at any moment to destroy the friendship by telling fidelia who lady scardale's brother-in-law was by simply saying rupert granton is red gundy and red gundy is the man who on his own confession to me killed your father though it was in his power at any moment to do this and in any instant to destroy the pretensions of a man whom he believed to be a dangerous rival the thought of such a betrayal of red gundy's confidence never seriously entered into his mind it galled him to think that rupert granton seemed to be on a more intimate footing with fidelia than he was it roused a sense of wild impotent anger in him when he saw her talking earnest interested absorbed with the man whose hand had killed her father with the man whom by his own plighted word he was to help her to discover and to punish but there was nothing to be done gerald could not betray red gundy and without betraying red gundy there was no way for him to counteract the influence of rupert granton over fidelia locke lady scardale had set her heart on one thing and that was a marriage between fidelia and rupert granton she loved the girl dearly she appreciated her purity and her many sweet and noble qualities she knew or at least she guessed what a wild kind of life rupert had led and yet she dearly wished that fidelia should marry him lady scardale was one of those women very good and clever women often who think a pure girl cannot have any better business in life than that of taking in hand some battered out rake and reforming him it did not occur to her that there was anything shocking or unnatural in this union of uncongenial natures nor had her own sad experience satisfied her that a woman may sacrifice her purity and her life for the sake of redeeming a man and have to leave him unredeemed in the end she told herself that rupert was a very different man from his brother and she was right in that but she did not think seriously enough of fidelia's share in the experiment sometimes indeed it had occurred to her that perhaps fidelia might get to care too much about gerald aspen but even a conviction of that kind would not have stopped her match-making plans 
she did not care much about mere love affairs she did not believe girls usually took them very seriously and she was of opinion that women have higher duties in this world than loving and being made love to it would she thought be a thousand times a nobler piece of work for the girl for the best of girls to redeem and regenerate a man like rupert granton than to make happy a man like gerald aspen any other girl she thought who was nice would do for gerald aspen just as well as fidelia but she did not know any girl except fidelia who could have any real and abiding influence over rupert granton therefore she began to grow a little jealous about gerald aspen's frequent visits and was much delighted in her heart at the evident pleasure which fidelia found in the society of rupert granton she thought she could read into fidelia's breast and in truth she could not fidelia did enjoy the society of rupert granton very much her life had been for the most part cabined and confined and he came to her with the atmosphere of a brilliant broad and many-tinted world about him she liked his daring his scorn of conventionalities his frankness his exhilarating animal spirits and his sunny temper she liked to hear him sing she liked to hear him talk to talk to him she could be infinitely more frank and free with him than with gerald there was not much difference between the ages of the two young men but rupert appeared to her to be infinitely older to belong to a different generation to be about the same sort of age as her father as her father yes there was the reason deep down in her heart which made her cling to granton it had grown to be a conviction in her mind deep grounded as an article of faith that through rupert granton she would learn something about her father's death she had no actual reason for thinking this she had no reason to believe that rupert had been in the diamond mines or had ever seen her father but the moment she saw him and heard of his strange wandering life it seemed to be borne in upon her that in him she had found the man who would help her to some trace of her father's murderer for the girl had made up her mind that her father was murderously done to death lady scardale knew fidelia well thought she knew her to her heart's core but she knew nothing of all this she was as much mistaken as gerald aspen she did not know the new fidelia who had suddenly taken the place of the other fidelia she did not know the new soul that had sprung up in the girl's breast the new passion stronger than love or jealousy or ambition the passion for revenge on the murderer of her father and so lady scardale went on smiling to herself as she saw with what gladness the eyes of fidelia were turned to the coming of rupert and with what eager interest she listened to his words and she said to herself that all that meant growing love which to lady scardale's thinking was something far better than the terrible love at first sight 
the fire of peat or straw as she thought it that blazes up in all its strength at once and just as suddenly goes out and leaves behind it nothing but a heap of ashes lady scardale longed for the time when fidelia would come to her and take her into her confidence and tell her all now it so happened that this very day while gerald was walking slowly to lady scardale's and trying to find some decent excuse for calling again so soon fidelia was having a momentous talk with granton granton needed no excuse for going any day or every day to see his sister-in-law and his sister-in-law gave him every opportunity of being alone with fidelia so this day fidelia sprang upon him a long-meditated plot she began asking him all about his travels and adventures and at last she asked him if he had ever been to any of the diamond mines in south africa taken off guard and not knowing what was to come he owned up to having been there you know my extraordinary story she said and you would be interested in it for lady scardale's sake for your sake miss locke thank you well there are some things about it which i have not been able to understand everybody concerned in what happened out there seems to be dead or lost mr aspen's father is dead my father is dead captain raven's brother is dead the man who brought the whole horrible story to england was killed the first night he reached london and one other man who was out there and knew all about it has disappeared and he has disappeared off the face of the earth nobody knows where he has gone to why did he go away in that strange and sudden way was it to escape from justice was it he who killed the man in st james's street some people said it was he what do you think she spoke fast and eagerly well i was not there at the time you know he spoke hesitatingly yes but you must have read all about it was it he who committed the murder what do you think read gundy murder poor seth chickering my dear miss locke the idea forgive me for saying it is too absurd red gundy murder seth chickering why they were the best of friends granton's feelings had thrown him a little off his guard and he read the fact in fidelia's surprised and flashing eyes oh then you knew this man this red gundy her eyes sparkled with the excitement of the question granton was staggered by her eagerness he soon however pulled himself together yes i did know red gundy i have known such a lot of people in my time that one can't recollect them all or all about them but i believe i did know red gundy but you must have known him better than that you must remember him he is not a man to be forgotten in that light sort of way why did you know him no i never saw him but i have longed to see him and i have prayed mr aspen to bring me to him and he did not or he would not and now the man is gone nobody knows where and i shall never perhaps have a chance of knowing him 
"'No,' Granton said gravely. "'You will never have a chance of knowing Rat Gundy. But why on earth did you want to know him? He was never much of a ladies' man, poor Rat Gundy.' "'As if I cared about a ladies' man, as if I could have endured a ladies' man. I wanted to see him, to know him, to make him my friend, and to get him into my confidence. I wanted to make him fall in love with me. Yes, I did, and I would have done it, too.' he wasn't much of a man for falling in love and i don't believe any woman ever loved him in that way i mean but why should you want to make him fall in love with you you did not propose to marry him did you no i proposed nothing but one thing i may as well tell you i always meant to tell you because i thought you might help me to find him and i may as well tell you now why tell me at all why not because i can't help you in that or in anything else nobody gets helped by me man or a woman to anything good he was speaking in a low deep tone he knew something painful was coming and he shrank from it ah but this is not something good it is something bad something wicked it is a purpose which a christian woman ought not to have but which i have in my heart and in my very blood if lady scardale only knew how this thought possesses me she would think me no longer the girl she cared for and was kind to listen mr granton my purpose is revenge 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 he repeated the word mechanically after her. Revenge for what? He well knew for what while he asked the question. Oh, can't you guess? You must have heard the story. Revenge for my father's murder. Yes, I have heard the story. That is, I have heard the story of his death. But as I have heard the story told, he was not murdered. He was killed in fair fight fair fight i don't believe it i know he was murdered and i want to find out who murdered him that is why i wanted to know this man with the strange name and the strange story this rat gundy did you suppose granton asked bringing out the words with difficulty and not looking into the girl's excited face but keeping his eyes on the ground that it was red gundy who caused your father's death no i didn't at least i did not suppose anything about it but i know we all know the papers told us all about it that red gundy was out in this place where they found all the diamonds and got all this odious fortune for some of us red gundy was there red gundy had left the place a long time he came here from south america oh then do you know something about him he started the girl appeared to have caught him again well it was all in the papers you know but i did know something about him at one time tell me all you know everything quick please begin at the beginning and speak fast you are so eager he said that you put me out what do you want to know 
i want to know anything and everything about red gundy because i am certain he could tell me all about my father's death why did he never come here why would mr aspen never bring him to see me or help me to get to see him it could only be because he knew something about my father's death which they thought mr aspen and he that it would be too painful for me to hear painful as if it mattered about pain as if the one great pain to his daughter was not the fact of his being dead dead killed murdered oh well go on tell me all about this man as i heard the story told by red gundy's own lips ah her eyes gleamed you did hear the story from him i was present when he told the story more than once he said your father was killed in a duel the old tale as if that would account for all the mystery that is made about it as if that would explain my secret conviction can you help me to find this red gundy no miss locke i can't do that you will never see red gundy poor old red gundy is dead dead oh no that can't be no one said that the papers all said that he had gone back to south america miss locke take my word for it red gundy will never be seen again by you or any other living creature red gundy is dead and buried he has taken his story whatever it is with him and no voice can call him back i can't understand this i can't understand you is it a riddle are you playing with me as if i would play with you about such a thing he exclaimed in a tone of almost passionate protest oh no no you would not you would not it was wrong of me to say such a thing but i get wild over this and there seems something mysterious about you and your very voice does not sound as it did mr granton for pity's sake for heaven's sake for my sake that's what fetches me most of all he interjected she hardly noticed his interruption for my sake tell me all you know about my father's death as heaven shall judge me miss locke all i know is that your father was killed in a duel that is the story i have always heard i never heard any other he was killed in a duel and the man who killed him was as incapable of committing a murder as poor red gundy or as i myself the name of the man who killed him was it not red gundy granton drew a deep breath and seemed to be stealing himself up for an effort the name of the man who killed your father was not red gundy oh then i am sorry if red gundy is dead but i have no further interest in him i know that is not all the story it is not all the story ha did i not say so it is not all the story the man who was the real cause of your father's death was not the man whose pistol ball killed him but the man who got up the quarrel and made these two men fight got up the quarrel by lies and calumnies and devilish tricks of all kinds 
and set these two gentlemen against one another and boasted afterwards that it was he who had planned it and brought it about tell me that man's name that man's name was noah bland and he is dead he was lynched for his crimes he ought to have been lynched long before he is the father of the Jaffet bland who is one of the heirs of this wretched blood-stained money who can't be found he is sure to turn up granton said if he is at all like his father he will not leave his money long unclaimed some day you may be sure he will start up in the midst of us oh hush fidelia suddenly whispered don't you see professor bostock professor bostock indeed had come into the hall and was standing quite near them he had come in so quietly that neither of them had heard his steps but he always moved quietly he did not come into a place he always appeared there he was examining a foil with intent eyes he threw himself into a fencing attitude and made a few passes then stopped and turned towards fidelia i hope i am not interrupting you he said meekly and sending a deferential glance at fidelia he looked uneasy and unwholesome no she answered rather angrily the place is yours more than it is mine or mr granton's oh he made a gesture as of one who would say if you put it in that cruel way fidelia took no notice anyhow i must go granton said he was only too well pleased to get a chance of escaping even for a moment from fidelia's further questions good-bye she said and held out her hand come again soon she gave him an appealing look which he tried to avoid but which bostock saw and fancied he understood rupert murmured some sort of promise and hurried away you are angry with me for coming in bostock said angry nonsense why should i be angry two are company and three are none mr bostock you seem to me to be in rather a bad temper to-day and i think your words are a little rude i did not mean to be rude to you it does not matter fidelia said and was turning away from him don't go yet miss locke he said softly i have something to say to you she turned back and looked at him in surprise i could not help hearing something that was said between you and that man as i came in oh she was going to speak but he raised his hand deprecatingly and went on i did not want to listen or to hear but i could not help it if you did hear anything of our talk she said contemptuously you must know that we spoke on a subject of the most painful interest to me and i am not likely to want to renew the talk with me i suppose he asked meekly with everyone with anyone i should not think of speaking to you about it 
but that you seemed so anxious to hear something about what happened out in those diamond fields she could not choose but listen when any word was spoken on that subject yes she said quickly almost sharply what do you know about all that more than you might imagine miss locke at least i could get to know a good deal mr granton does not seem to be able to help you very much about it mr aspen won't help you oh then you heard all that you must have been listening for a good long time there was an increasing tone of contempt in her voice pardon me i only heard the last few words you were saying but you will excuse me if i observe that you spoke in a very loud and eager tone well never mind go on she said only that if neither of these gentlemen will serve you i thought perhaps you might give me a chance he turned his eyes on her they were absolutely expressionless as ever fidelia looked into the eyes and noted how they were discharged of all expression an uncomfortable and creepy conviction seemed to come over her that the eyes were kept under restraint and that they could if they would blaze out with all manner of emotion she had for some time felt a little uneasy about her fencing-master he occasionally paid her elaborate and formal compliments to which the most sensitive woman could not openly object but which made her feel as if she would sometimes rather dispense with the fencing lessons but she was a girl of a good brave healthy sort of mind and she never imagined that every man was likely to fall in love with her so she repented a little of her sharpness and corrected her sentence if you really know or could get to know anything of what happened out there mr bostock she said you could not do me a greater favour than to tell me something only it is a terrible subject for me and i do not want to have one moment's idle talk about it i did talk about it to mr granton as you seem to have heard because he had been out there and i thought he might tell me something if he knew i talked to mr aspen about it as you appear to have heard also because he is mysteriously mixed up with me in the whole horrible story and he has lost a father as i have but i hardly ever speak of it to lady scardale whom i dearly love because i know she could not help me i do not understand how you can know anything about it you have not been in south africa no i have not been to south africa or the diamond mines but i know something about them and it is easy to get to south africa nowadays and if you will let me go i shall find out everything you want to know if i let you go mr bostock i don't understand you how can i either let you go or keep you back can't you understand me really and truly he asked have you no idea not the very slightest do you really mean that come you are not like other women you are not a mere trifler a coquette fidelia's brow darkened i hope i am not a trifler or a coquette 
but i don't know what that has got to do with it or what we are talking about and i don't quite see why we should be wasting our time talking about anything i think i must go mr bostock she was turning away from him don't go just yet he pleaded he had the foil still in his hand and he made a sudden gesture with it as if he were interposing it as a barrier between her and the outer world i must tell you something we have wandered from our subject she said anxiously but not afraid i have not wandered from mine he answered it is one of the two subjects i have in my brain and in my heart miss locke do you know why i consent to spend my life drudging in this hateful school and giving lessons in fencing to silly and stupid and awkward girls fidelia was inclined for the moment to be a little amused am i one of the silly and stupid and awkward girls she asked not without a tone of malice in her voice you oh well i need not answer that question do you know why i give up my life to this place she was almost inclined to reply that she assumed it was because lady scardale paid him a very good salary for his very good fencing lessons but his face looked too serious for such a reply so she only said in a tone of conciliation i presume mr bostock you take an interest in your craft which you can practise so well it isn't that he said abruptly do you think i was made to live the life of a teacher in a girl's school fidelia in truth could not answer the question she had never given it any thought she had accepted it as one of the natural condition of things that a clever fencing-master could be found for a college like that of lady scardale no matter whether the fencing-master had to teach girls or boys she had never noticed anything much in mr bostock except his remarkable skill in fence and his quiet suppressed methodical ways therefore she felt herself embarrassed when suddenly confronted with a question never presented to her before and which seemed to start a kind of mystery to explain what seemed a very commonplace business not calling for any explanation but she could also see that mr bostock was entirely in earnest in putting his question mr bostock she answered very gravely and respectfully i suppose many people or most people have to lead lives which they do not find altogether suited to their feelings and their tastes this may of course be your lot as it is the lot of others do you mean to tell me he said with the same expressionless face but with deep emotion in his tones that you have no idea why i pass my life in this place unless for the ordinary and obvious reasons no idea none whatever i have not thought about it it was no affair of yours he broke in sharply if you wish to put it so yes it was no affair of mine mr bostock 
i should rather put it that i had no right to form any conjectures as to your motives it was an affair of yours he said with deep repressed passion in his voice and you have a right to form a conjecture i stay here because you are here i came here because you are here stop mr bostock pray stop do stop i am not likely to stop now having gone so far i must go on i love you fidelia began to think she had to deal with a madman something of this thought seemed to publish itself in her face for he quickly said you think i am mad perhaps well i dare say i am every man is mad in a sense who falls desperately in love with a woman and if so i am mad for i am desperately in love with you but i am sane enough in other ways and i mean to carry my point in this i am going to be rich i ever so rich and i shall have power and i am not a man to let anything stand in my way and fidelia locke i love you come can you love me don't think of me as the poor drudge of a girl's school that isn't my vocation any more than my name is bostock our lives are bound up together and our destinies in a way you little dream of come can you love me he flung away his foil which went clattering to the floor folded his arms and stood quietly before her waiting for an answer if only anybody would come a student a servant anyone fidelia glanced uneasily around the great room but there was no one oh if lady scardale would come she did not know what to say or how to act but she had a great conviction that the moment was one for keeping cool and avoiding the tragic mr bostock she said at last you must not be surprised if i refuse to take all things quite seriously it is very serious for me he said grimly it will be very serious for you as well and for others too then fidelia lost her temper you are threatening me mr bostock she said and i can only tell you that i am not the least in the world frightened by your threats no i am glad you have threatened me because it gives me the right to say that i have nothing to do with you and that i defy you you shall not defy me long he growled you do not know who i am and what i can do i do not know and i do not care let us have an end of this mr bostock we must continue to meet for i cannot have lady scardale disturbed by reports of such stuff let us meet as mere fellow-workers in this college until perhaps some future day we may be able to meet again as friends she endeavoured to put some softening tone of kindliness of a hope for reconciliation into her closing words never he replied we can never be friends i would rather be hated by you than looked on merely as a milk-and-water friend i am a man who has no friends and does not want any i have enemies and i make them and i get rid of them when i can 
I have had to make my own way in the world, and I have made it, and I will make it, and I let nothing stand in my way, and I shall conquer you too in the end. This is all too melodramatic for me, Fidelia said, and I have no taste for melodrama. Have you no feeling for a man who loves you? I don't believe there is any love in that, and if there is, I hate such love, and I despise it. Do you think a girl is to be frightened, and, and bullied into falling in love with the first man who gets it into his head that he is falling in love with her? Come, Mr. Bostock, drop all this nonsense and let us get into the commonplace again. Will you not allow me to assist you in finding out all about your father? Oh, hush! she exclaimed. Do not let us bring his name into this odious talk. Will you not let me help you? I can help you as nobody else can. Will you not take my help in this? Not in this or in anything else, until we return to the old conditions of the commonplace. Oh, thank heaven! These last words were uttered in an undertone, and with a deep-drawn breath of relief, for one of the attendant women was coming towards her, with a salver and a cart on it. That would have been a strange visitor indeed who was not welcome to Fidelia just then. A flush came into her face as she took the card. It bore the name of Gerald Aspen. "'Show Mr. Aspen in,' she said with an air of hardly concealed delight and triumph. "'You will not tell,' Bostock hastily began. "'I never tell tales out of school,' was Fidelia's almost contemptuous reply. "'You will keep to yourself what I have told you?' "'Keep it to yourself for the future,' she said, "'and you may feel sure that I will keep it to myself.' At that moment Gerald Aspen entered the room. Bostock saluted him grimly, and then vanished. Gerald had not eyes for him. He had only eyes for Fidelia, and for the look of unmistakable joy that came into her face. The pain and strain of her talk with Bostock had been too much for her, and the sudden relief caused by Gerald's coming had swelled her emotion to overflow. A man should have been dull indeed who mistook the welcoming look in her eyes. "'I am so glad you have come,' she said, and in her impulsive way she stretched out both her hands to him. Ignorant Gerald! Why had he never known that if she was constrained with him, and perfectly easy, familiar and friendly with Rupert Granton, it was because she had no feeling which could make her embarrassed in her relations with Rupert Granton, and she had much feeling to embarrass her in her relations with him. How could she be perfectly open and frank and unembarrassed with him? How was she to know the true nature of his feelings towards her? She might be allowing herself to go too far, she might have been showing her hand, she might have been to put it in better words, showing her love. She might have been making overtures such as no true girl would make until she is well assured in her own mind and heart 
that these overtures are to be becomingly returned gerald though a society journalist was a somewhat shy and modest young man in the presence of women and this one particular woman had an influence over him that sometimes made him tremble and blush in her presence has anything happened he asked have you been alarmed by anything no i have been talking to mr bostock and he is a strange man but it is nothing will you come and walk in the grounds he asked timidly End of chapter 16